0: Hi guys, uh, welcome to Time to Talk. My name's Alex Holmes. Um, yeah, t- this is my third episode uh, bef- before I come back to the UK um, and bring you some new, uh, fresh-blooded conversations. Um, it's now November. And um, I will be talking about men's mental health uh, and men's health quite a bit going forward. Um, so this conversation actually kicks off November. It is a conversation with um, a guy called Antonio Ferreira. Um, Antonio is a, a mental health campaigner and advocate, um, an anti-racist campaigner as well. Um, and he is, you know, on the youth board for We Are Beyond as a youth mental health charity um, founded by Johnny Benjamin. And we actually just chat about all things from his diagnosis, um, which you'll get into when you listen to the podcast, um, living with um, a serious mental health disorder and. Um, being black and male and coming from that experience and you know battling and challenging the stigma um, around it too so um, it's been a long time coming uh, speaking to Antonio and um, he's somebody that I've always wanted to chat to on the podcast and I think that he is a brave and courageous man just in the way that he sees and views life in general Um, and his version of happiness and his version of success is something to admire and I admire him and I think that he is just a great all-round person. Um, to know, So I would like to invite you to listen to this episode, uh, share it, um, connect with him, connect with me um, if you have any questions and yeah, this is Antonio Ferreira, and he's talking to me this week about men's mental health um, and his own experiences with that. Enjoy. Been a been a long time coming, Antonio.
1: Yeah, been a long yeah.
0: time coming from when we first met to getting this, um, to getting you under on the, on the show. It's been necessary. It's been required, required yeah. listening. Um, so just to introduce you, ah, uh, who are you?
1: I'm Antonio Ferreira. I'm a mental health and anti-racism activist, um, and on the side, a student. Uh, and yeah, that's me. Mm.
0: Where are you from? Because Antonio Ferreira sounds Hispanic, Latino. Uh,
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, So I'm half Portuguese, half Angolan. Oh, okay. Okay. OK.
0: Do you speak Portuguese at home?
1: Yeah, it's my first language. I I had to learn English, surprisingly. Yeah.
0: What, were you born there? Yeah, I was born there, yeah. Born where,
1: When I was three years old. Oh, where were you born? In Angola. Oh, amazing. Do
0: you you go back often?
1: No I've never actually been never been back actually um I've been back to Portugal recently Mm -hmm. but I've not been back to Angola no I don't it's not I wouldn't say it's on my bucket list to go Mm.
0: yeah how have you been with you know the world is a bit gray right now um the world is gray like literally the UK is doing its own thing um how are you how are you doing
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm all right. You know, the main thing is this. When I say I'm all right, it's not every day is good. You know, some days are bad, some days are good. Lately, I feel like, you know, I've been going through a lot of brain fog, kind of like trying to find my way through this this fog kind of thing. Um, Not really sure where I am, but that's just part of the journey, isn't it? You're not always going to be, you're not always going to know it all. And I I think... um, I was speaking to Louisa for, from Beyond about it and she said to me, oh, you know, it's okay to be a 24-year-old and to do 20, what t- 24-year-olds do and not have anything figured out. So sometimes it's good to have that reminder. But apart from that, yeah, like I said, you know, uh, just all right, getting by, getting through, managing, coping.
0: Mm-hmm. Like what are some of your typical coping mechanisms?
1: Really? A lot because of, it. of
0: that, because a lot. When I was Because when I was 24 we weren't doing the, the, the world was rubbish but you know what i mean it wasn't this rubbish do you know what i'm saying yeah um what, what are some of the things that a you lot, do to kind of get yourself through you know
1: a lot of it are distractions really you know it's so like going up to clubs listening to music um hanging out with friends um so i mean i'm not saying all of it some of it is productive stuff as well it's still um yeah. but a lot of it is distraction and A lot of it is being able to speak about it too so you know I have a support network around me that I uh, can speak to and let them know how I'm feeling and sometimes you just need you know sometimes as I said you just need that that boost of a few words to get you back on track or to find yourself at least moving um, Mm -hmm. again so yeah it's the art the essence of speaking up um, being able to speak to people um, but in a moment it's, it's just distractions Like I said Going out Listening to music And hanging out with friends
0: mm-hmm. Yeah I found that I've just been escaping Into books A lot more A lot more recently I was listening I usually I used to escape into audio And into podcasts And things like that But I feel like Podcasts have Like There's some podcasts I listen to That have become Very Because obviously Like this one Like we We talk about What's happened currently? Currently, right? Things that are going on, and um, I just have to be in a particular space to be able to kind of continue to listen to that to, to certain things. Um, yeah. it, I, but like, it has to be comedy mm. sometimes because I'm just like, you know, being in the spaces that we're in, it can get really, it can get really heavy. Yeah, because you know, we're consistently yeah. talking about this stuff. So I try to throw in a bit of laughter here and there because I feel like it's it's important to to laugh and I'm I'm looking more and more as a therapist what humor looks like as a as a tool for kind of healing and kind of helping that and like genuine laughter not like laughing at people or
1: yeah yeah. or you know you know
0: that teasing kind of that teasing kind of feeling um so I think that's that's just something that I've been been really going to do and you know there was this whole feeling of just you know there was just this whole idea of not going outside right and everybody was just at home for a long period of time it's just nice to kind of be in uh it's nice to be outside catching jokes and yeah. laughing at the at the randomness of life in it yeah no
1: I, I completely agree with you I, you're right and you know Looking for comedy as so well. I spend a lot of time on YouTube videos, watching chunks, Young Philly, you know, <laughs> all of all these YouTubers. So mm-hmm. that's, I think that's something I actually got from, I don't know, times that I spent secluded, secluded, times I spent in, psych, in psychiatric units because as mm-hmm. you, know, there's a, there's a, there's an element in in humour and in, in laughing that kind of gets you through the day, gets you through the emotions, the feelings, um. And it just you know yes you know I, sometimes I want I'm sitting with friends and they want to watch some of Netflix and they say you know let's watch the documentary. It's like oh, you know is a bit heavy right? and I think like you said for especially for being in in this space where you know a lot of it is mental health centred and so forth you like want to get away from I guess the seriousness of your hobby your work whatever it may be and just yeah laugh yeah laugh a bit. and genuine laugh like you said genuine laugh you know um where you're struggling where you're struggling to breathe sort of yeah. um belly
0: laughing. laughing yeah exactly <laughs> from the ancestral plane That exactly. is real laugh.
1: yeah yeah i completely agree yeah got you
0: um so we're talking about not trying to get into the heavy stuff but let's get into the bits where um that uh, are you know that we need to talk about like um, um you know I, I'm not going to presume your story. I know bits of I know bits of it, but this is for you to tell. Um, what have been your kind of what has been your journey with your mental health in in recent times? Um, yeah, let's start there. In recent times, how how recent? I'd, recent... I'd say recent times. I mean, how far? However far you want to go back. What's been oh, your journey okay. with mental health?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I might, well, first begins around the age of 15, 16. Um, I was in, um, high school doing my, well, I think, I think I hadn't been, I hadn't reached year 11 yet. So I hadn't been doing my GCSE. It was just a year before, but I remember, you know, growing up, I had a, I put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed, to do well. Um, you know, I can, I come from a family of five, four, four, four siblings. So there's five of us in total and I'm the youngest. So you know, I always felt like I had the short straw mm-hmm. physically and literally. I had the the short straw um, to, to having to do well. If that makes sense, you know, yeah. my brothers did well in it. Did well in their own in their own journeys, but I mean, like you know, someone that really takes 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 the lead, sort of thing. That's the type type of pressure for myself. And so to illustrate that, I remember you know whenever I used to get homework, I'd go home and do it on the same night. I wouldn't spend an hour a minute later to complete it and you know if I didn't have homework I'd go home and copy out a book because I wanted to improve my handwriting that's the type of what looked like dedication and motivation I had but actually was pressure and expectation for me
0: mm.
1: and I remember yeah you know I I was a model student never got in trouble nothing like that and then it came to year 10 I got my first attention
0: and my mm. head of year
1: looked down for what's going on here you know I'm never seen this before and it was like that's the behavior change you notice first and so he spoke to my parents and, and you know he suggested to my parents that I go see as I'd be seen by my GP and then I went to see my GP and from GP I was referred to a child adolescent mental health service And mm-hmm. um, while this is going on I'm still you know g- grafting for my GCSE so now we've come to year 11 and it's like you know Oh, I gotta get these GCSEs. I gotta get these ten GCSEs. G- GCSE, sorry. And mm-hmm. if I don't, I'm going to be a failure, sort of thing, right? That mm-hmm. was the black or white image I painted in my head. Yeah. And then, yeah, you know, I'm still being investigated. Like investigated. I guess I don't know what the right word to say is in this sense, but I'm still with Childless Mental Health. service trying to find out what's going on if any, mm-hmm. if anything, if there's anything they can do. And then. Fortunately, I passed my, my 10 GCSEs because I worked so hard at them. I, even, I, I was so stressed out I was even suffering from pseudo seizures at the time. And pseudo seizures are like, they um, they look like epileptic seizures, but they don't come from an epileptic background. In my case, they were coming because I was experiencing so much stress that it was going past my stress threshold. And so sort of my body was shutting down to restart. That's how I remember it being explained to me. But as I said, I, I fortunately got my 10 GCSEs. And I go to college, sixth form college, and you know I'm at the, the. I think at the time it was the third best sixth form college in the country. Mm. And it was, you know you had to have really good A levels to get into the the, the sixth form college. And I got in, and I remember, and I remember, you know, people saying to me that they they thought I'm going to be a doctor and all these things. You know, for me it was like, if they think I'm going to be a doctor, I have to go and be a doctor, oh, right? Man yeah i was i was so happy playing football for manchester united or something like that that was my personal hobby right but i wanted to follow what other people expected of me and so i went on and studied biology chemistry psychology and philosophy a levels okay but, scientist philosopher. doctor. really tough really tough subjects um yeah but yeah so you know i inevitably that 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 grew a lot another stress ball for me. And you know, there was a lot more pressure a lot more expectation um, at this point. And it got to a point where I just I, the way I describe it is I had this boulder of, um, pr- of pressure and expectation on my back, this big fat boulder on my back that I was holding up, right? And it got so big that I started to get closer and closer to the ground to the point where I'm only an inch from touching the ground. And I can't see myself picking, picking myself back up, lifting myself back up. So I, I, you know, came to this point where it was just like, the only way over this is to take my own life. And I remember, mm. you know, I had planned a day to take my own life and it I, I was I was going to college like a normal day, you know. I wanted to make it seem like a normal day. But just before reaching college, I called my child at lesson Mental Health Service and I said to them, oh, you know, something bad gonna happen today. I just want you to know so you can let my parents know when you find out. And it was like, okay, well, can you tell us a bit more information? I said, no, I just wanted, I wanted to make this call anonymous. I just wanted to let you know. Um, I guess you'll find out afterwards. And she was like, okay, well, can you, can we at least have your date of birth? And I told this every time, you know, I think at the time I thought I was the only person in the service. I wasn't, sorry, I wasn't the only person in this service with the birthday in, in December. So I thought, okay, cool. You know what? You can have my birthday. Right, let's pause. Your is in December,
0: Sorry, it's very trivial point. Like, your birthday's in December though. Yeah. When is your birthday? 16th of December.
1: Ah, oh, okay, cool,
0: I'm the, <laughs> I'm, the 20, I'm the 29th. Oh, okay, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, was, I was trying to figure out whether you were Sagittarius or Capricorn, I was gonna bring you into the fold.
1: But... Yeah, I'm Sagittarius, I'm Sagittarius. <laughs> yeah, just, just stay
0: over there, that's fine.
1: All anyway, right, so,
0: so go on, yeah. So yeah, yeah so they, so... They, they were checking to see if anybody else was born in December.
1: Yeah, so, you know, I gave them my date of birth, um, and I hung up and I hung up a phone call and then I went into college as normal and I remember sitting in a psychology class and the principal head principal came into class and pulled me out of class and she sat me in that office and said oh you know we've had this call from your service is everything all right mm-hmm. and I played it off cool I was like you know yeah I don't know what's happened maybe you know I've just missed an appointment I wasn't aware of I've no idea and then she said, "Okay, well, your brother's here to collect you. They've asked to come in to go into the office." And I went into, and so my brother, we both went into the service office. And you know, I've got my psychologist and my psychiatrist, and my brother in the room. And I at least, and I remember so vividly at this time, I was experiencing um, auditory hallucinations. I was hearing voices, which in, in a moment I didn't recognize. Of course, you know, I had no knowledge of mental health, none at all. I, I never mm. even used to use the two words in my vocabulary until. Until then, right? Um, and I remember the voices saying to me, "Oh, you know, you you've you you need to do it now, or you'll always have to live with this. You, you know, you'll never be able to ha- have opportunity to do it again if you don't do it now." And I, and I, as I'm hearing these voices, you know, I'm repeating it out loud as well. I'm saying it to my psychiatrist, "You've ruined everything. This is not how it's supposed to go." And I'm reaching into my bag, but I vi- like so vaguely remember my my psychiat- psychiatrist asking me, "Oh." Um, What's happened? What's going on? It was almost like she was a whisper, and the voices in my head, mm-hmm. where you know the, the 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 concept basically, mm-hmm. um, and then my brother saw you know as I saw me reaching into my bag, and as as soon as he saw um what I had in my bag, mm-hmm. he jumped at me, he rugby tackled me to the ground, and and you know he held on to me, and he said oh, it was, uh, he was he's yeah he, he held on to me, and he said uh, said to me oh you know if you're going to harm yourself, you're going to have to harm me first, mm-hmm. you know anyone who knows someone in that situation, they know that the, the main priority, the main goal isn't to hurt anyone else. It's only to hurt yourself, right? So to take on someone else's, to harm someone else while harming yourself was not part of the plan. And so yeah, that was defeats, enough for me to- the object, right? Yeah, exactly. So that, that was enough for me to let go um, of what I had. And my psychiatrist and psychologist as, as protocol, you know, they pressed the panic alarm, ambulance, please. I remember the police didn't, let me say, the ambulance didn't actually enter the room. Only the police entered the room. And this was a a really, like, a pinnacle moment because Mm. this is where I developed a lot of my frustration towards police. I remember they came in and, you know, it was one officer, I think, at the time that came in and spoke to me. And he said to me, oh, look, I know what's going on here. Your, Your brother and your psychiatrist are speaking to me. I can see, you know, that you've not done anything wrong and that you need support, but the sergeant on, on, on the radio, all he's hearing is, you know, an, a weapon and a, and a boy in a room, he needs to be arrested. And so he was like, unfortunately, I've got to arrest you. You know, and he's, he's just like, I've got to take you to the police station for a fray, which a fray is putting the lives of other in, others in danger. Mm-hmm. And you know, my, my brother's going off from one, well, my psychiatrists saying, no, I don't want him to be prosecuted. So he wasn't going to harm anyone by but, but himself. He needs support and so forth. But... Yeah, you know, as 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 it ends, I had I had to be taken to the police station. I spent a few hours in the holding cell. Mm. Came out of the police station, and they said to me, you know, no further action, but I have to be escorted to to the hospital, my local hospital. And I remember I was so angry at the time because it was like for someone who was in in in, in distress, you know, someone who was in a crisis, you you made me feel like a criminal. Mm. And, I, and I tried, to, and I and I'd had a go at the, the woman officer who was escorting me. And I remember she said to me, well. No one told you to pull out a weapon, you know. And I and I remember, I remember that moment. I just, you know, really thought to myself, there's a problem here. You know, there's 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 something not right here because from beginning to end, you you've treated you've treated this like a crime. You've shown no empathy. You've shown no knowledge. You know, it was just so like it was frustrating. Mm. But I had to, I, you know, had to in, I had to let had to let that go quickly at, there and then because I was now going into a new environment, a new setting, and so. I remember my psychiatrist said, she said, oh, you can go home for tonight and then come back the next day because she had booked me a bed in a psychiatric unit. And because she knew a lot had gone on, she thought maybe just have, have the night at home first and then, you know, go in the morning. In the morning. So she, so that was really nice of me. And so I spent the night at home and I woke up in the morning, you know, I remember again, I had no idea what I was going into. I had no, no like absolutely no knowledge of what it was going to look like, or, you know, how long I was going to be there, what was going to happen there. I just thought, you know, like a normal hospital, pretty much. Um, And I went in and it was actually my biggest surprise ever. You know, again, it was probably the the pinnacle moment that changed me completely, changed my goals, my vision, my mentality. I spent a long time in their own section, you know, in and out as well of psychiatric units, but I learned so much from the other patients. You know, and this is what this is what I say to people. Don't always think that people can't pour out of an empty glass. Sometimes we're just oblivious to what's being poured out, mm-hmm. because it was like these these patients, these the other patients, they were struggling with their own experiences, but they would put that aside to come and support me. You know, try to get me out of there because they felt I didn't deserve to be in there. And and you know, it, it it's very nice to me because I actually I remember the beginning. I was very ignorant, you know. I used to say to them, "Oh, you know, I'm not like you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not here like like you guys are." There's just been a mistake. That's how mm. ignorant I was, you know. I was just like, "There's just been a mistake. I, I won't be here long," sort of thing. And, you no, know, they didn't seem to they didn't seem to take much offence to it. I guess when you spend so much time in that environment, you see people come in and out. You understand how people mm. will react and behave to, um, you know, their their experience. So, yeah, as I said, it was really nice of them, you know. Um, to support me and to just, I don't know, I remember one of them saying that I had this light bulb that that wasn't, it wasn't, you know, when the light bulb goes off, it wasn't, it didn't go off. It's just someone turned off the switch kind of thing and someone just needed to turn it back on again. And, you know, others who, what I'm trying to get is they were all very inspirational in their own journeys, mm-hmm. you know? And unfortunately they couldn't overcome what they'd been through. So I guess what, it, what they could do was shed a light on someone else to be able to take it away With them and they felt that I was the person they could confide in. And so, you know, that is what gave way to my ambition to going into the world of psychology, not necessarily the world of activism, but the world of psychology, because I came out with a vow to want to study psychology, to understand better, Mm. to to, you know, to do better and go out and support people who look like me, who end up in the same situation as me, but didn't get as who weren't as fortunate as me. You know, Mm. I still had family support, I still had friends support um and so forth whereas not many not as many are as lucky um and then yeah you know I came out of the psychiatric unit doing that stretch and um I went back to college to get my UCAS books because I was dedicated this time for my own ambition to get into psychology and go to uni and get into psychology so you know there was still the element of saving lives but in a different in a way that I wanted to not that others wanted me to and so um yeah, you know, came out of college, got my UCAS points, went to university. At first I went to university of though, which is five hours that's up north. Far away from you. Yeah, it was very far. I, you know, I think I, I jumped the gun. You know, I, I saw that they were doing a psychology with a fast track doctorate and I thought, oh, yeah, straight away, like, you know, let's speed through things. But again, you know, with every mistake comes your biggest lessons. And that's where I learned the value of patience, you know, taking your time with things and taking things day by day. Because at the end of the day, it's the tourist that won the race, not the hair, right? So you just got to take it step by step and eventually you will get there. So I ended up relapsing and coming back down to London in my first year of university. And then, you know, I was advised that I try to find a university a bit closer to home because my London services knew me and they could deal with things better rather than having to start all the process again and so forth. So I transferred to University of Essex, but I didn't start my first year straight away because I was still... You know, in a in a serious, I guess in a in a part of my recovery that was still I was still vulnerable. Um, All right, okay. and then yeah, you know, coming to where we are now. Mm. So I was going to just say
0: okay. So you thank you for sharing your story, man. Um, I just wanted to just ask,ing because there's a few points I was just making through through this conversation, through what you were were saying, and I think like one of the points was around the, this pressure, the pressure thing. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it, um, with regards to men and mental health and kind of the pressure that we're under. Um, but typically what you were experiencing was pressure as a young person. Mm. Um, because and like I, I care so deeply about young children and young people, um, and the kind of pressures that we put under when we are in year eleven or year ten, eleven, then 13, then university, and then we just kind of on this hamster wheel of pressure, all the way until, like, what? We're pensioners, and even then, it's yeah. like it's not even a guarantee that you're probably going to get the pressure taken off, um, or feel as if you're going to be less pressured. Um, and so, what did it trigger? What did it trigger? Because you mentioned that you, um, you know, you went to CAMS, you went to the psychiatric ward. Yeah. Um, what? What? What was? What was found? what was diagnosed what was you know what, what happened
1: yeah so I you know it wasn't an easy process getting diagnosed I, actually there was you know I, I don't I, I couldn't even tell you when I got diagnosed because mm-hmm. as an adolescent you're not told as much as you are as when you're an adult so mm-hmm. I probably found out later than I actually did get diagnosed if that makes sense but I was diagnosed yeah. with schizophrenia and emotionally unstable personality disorder and I guess emotionally
0: unstable personality
1: yeah emotion. so it's it's it's, a, it's the same as um, borderline personality disorder but again this is only like learning these things the researching things that the EPD is, is comes from a different um diagnostic statistics manual whereas a different one yeah well yeah I think it's more of an international one whereas the borderline personality disorder is more of a national term oh okay or the other way around I'm not don't quote me on that. But it's something along those oh, lines. Yeah, it. yeah. So, yeah. So it's, yeah. yeah. But they did the same thing in borderline personality disorder and emotional personality disorder. I grew up, I, I was always, I was asked before why, why do I still call it EEPD and not BPD? And do I prefer EEPD rather than BPD? And, you know, it's a good question. But I think just because of the f- familiarity I have with the word EEPD, having grown up, knowing it as EEPD is the simple reason why I choose to stick with you know, emotional, self-personality disorder, rather than change it to borderline personality disorder. Yeah, mm. there's no you know real reason to that except for just a familiarity. Um, mm. What was and that like? Also, Sorry, go what on. was it like? I
0: was gonna say, what was it like to get that diagnosis? But
1: you know, it's too. It's good and bad to it. The good is that you knew what was going on. You know, you go on Google, you search symptoms and you get 10 different diagnoses. So you never know what avenue to actually look down and things become even more confusing. And it's harder to come to terms with what's going on. Now I had this title, it was like, okay, cool. I understand. I know what I'm looking at, where I'm looking and how I'm looking at it, right? So I've got the little details. And so I can find a pathway between everything. But then it's like, now I have a label, right? Now I'm not just Antonio. I'll be seen, medically, clinically, I'll be seen as Antonio Ferrer with schizophrenia and emotionally unstable personality disorder, right? And there's a lot of stigma and shame around those two titles. So it was like, okay, cool. You know, it's almost like you've been um, printed, these, t- these labels on. Anywhere you go, everywhere you go, not you have to make it known, but you might have to make it known. You know, you, you're still in control of who you, who you tell and who, who knows about your personal um, business, but, it's now you have to consider it and you have to stay in the back of your mind every time. So both good and bad in terms of, you know, understanding myself, but then the shame and stigma and misconceptions that come with them with uh, um, the titles add to that, um I guess, bad part, element of having the diagnosis.
0: Mm. How do you feel about the shame and stigma part of it? Like how, so, cause I, I, I really want people to understand like for you, what that was like breaking that down to mm. your brothers, your parents, your community, and what that looks like. You know what I mean. Like, what yeah. was that process like of saying, "All right, like this is what is going on with me." What were the reactions? What did you feel like? You know?
1: Yeah, I mean, at first it was very, it's very difficult in terms of just crossing that barrier, of wanting to to tell people, um, letting people know. Um, but you know, I just, I think at the at the time. Why that, what it was is that because I was so unfamiliar with the world of mental health and everything around it, I might have actually also been um, oblivious to the stigmas and, and misconceptions at, at that point around the, the diagnosis, right? So I, I was always happy to, well, not always, but I was I was okay trying to explain to people, my family, my, my brothers, my friends, you know, what's going on, but, or what it was, but, you know, for someone else who probably has the, the awareness of the misconceptions and stigma it, it looked it probably you know came to them like a like a, like a, a bombshell kind of thing like oh no you know schizophrenia no way sort of thing but i looked at it as because i was so knowledgeable i didn't actually know you know the, the misconceptions around around it when i got to know and i got to figure out you know how much shame and stigma there was around it that's when i was like again oh you know this is a problem and you know I've always been that person. If something was wrong, if something didn't make sense, I'd always question it, you know. If someone wanted to give me a thousand pounds, I wouldn't just take it, I'd sit there and be like, why? You know, mm. Why are you giving me a thousand pounds? So I'd always ask the why, like, you know, anyone like invited me to an event or, you know, why? Why, you know, there's always, there's always that, why Why would you want me to, why do you want me there? What, you know, what do you want out of me at the end? So sort was of a little bit, I guess, paranoia zone, so, but mm. you know, still wanting to learn and know the re- the reasons behind things so um yeah you know I just went and thought let me you know tell people that this is exactly how it is you know this is how you challenge things you know how how I challenged my my diagnosis was by learning more about it how I challenged my parents was by teaching them more about it same with my brothers you know and so for me it was just about actually you know what and now I know it exists who, you know, whenever I experience it, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to be like, actually, no, you know, this is what schizophrenia is like, and this is what emergency and this disorder is like. And, you know, this is how my daily life is, and this is what medication means and so forth. And yeah, you know, you had to, I guess, yeah, I had to have a lot of patience with people.
0: Mm. Okay, so two things, um, because, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll preface this with context. Um, my uncle, has schizophrenia I've never spoken to him about it um it's something that we all acknowledge but it's not something that we've actually had conversations with him about and um in that in so being it's become a thing where growing up it was consistently stigmatic Mm. for me because I always been even to this day when someone says they are schizophrenic my Body reaction mm. is different to my mental reaction. And my, you know, like my body is like, oh, yeah. my body, my mind is like, okay, cool. That's something that that they have. Like, we need to just work. We mm. need to work with that and see how we can communicate the best in the most efficient, effective way. And then that regulates my body itself. Yeah. Only because growing up, it was this consistent walking on eggshells situation. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're Whenever um you're shown a schizophrenic person or explained schizophrenia to to you to somebody who doesn't have it or presumably doesn't have it um, it's always- pre- it's always presented in a forensic sense mm. so it's always presented in um crime fiction yeah. or is presented in a danger to society kind mm. of way you know I studied linguistics and I studied ling- I studied um, forensic linguistics for a time and it was and, and psycholinguistics as well and some of that and like the way pe- the way people write and the way people kind of communicate through language um when they uh, when they have a schizophrenic tendency um it didn't it wasn't it didn't come across as very compassionate. To Mm. the situation, so I wanted to ask you, like, as much as you had to challenge yourself with regards to understanding your diagnosis and understanding your condition, and then you had to challenge your parents and your brothers by telling them what it was. Did you? What did you feel when you know? What do you feel about the way that people react when you tell them? Because I know you said that your nerves about telling people.
1: Yeah. I you know what i I still get nervous telling people you know I, I, it's an, it's an interesting thing because although all my friends around me you know have seen the things I do had somewhere somewhere somewhat heard my story um the main point is they're aware right I've never actually sat down with my friends and had a conversation you know with them about my journey or my mental health or their journey or their mental health so there is still a bit of that, and I don't think it's because I'm, I'm, I'm like ashamed of them judging me or you know, whatever, because they are my friends, right? They're already aware of of, of my my schizophrenia and my whole um, activism work. So mm-hmm. I couldn't put a finger on it to say why I haven't had that conversation. I think maybe because it's just, you know, it's really intense with friends are so close to you i think um i've always wanted to figure out i don't know as well i just it's never happened right and i think telling people now is not such as nerve-wracking as it as it was before but i still do get like you said you know the the difference between the body body um um, expression and uh um, verbal expression is you know it says oh because mentally i know like oh actually you know what how could I be ashamed you know I, my story is out there anyway for anyone to see everyone you know and anyone can, can find out just by typing in my name um and so forth um but actually you know I, it's, it's still a hard one because it's there's a lot of frustration in me I used to, you know I, I came on I came into the campaigning with this ball of fire with me which you know was that passion for wanting change for wanting to change the way the uk views and addresses. Mental ill health in unrepresented communities, and you know when I see that, like when I see something that, I guess in a way mocks the progress we've made, you get so frustrated. And you're like, no, because you know people are still not aware of what it, what schizophrenia means, and so you know there are still people who you know you could open your, you could you could tell your story to someone, and that one person will be the worst person you tell because they they're giving you such a bad experience in you telling. And that's going to stay in every other time you want to tell someone, you know? Mm. You have someone that reacts good the first time, you're going to want to tell people more and more and more often, but every dog has this day. So eventually, if you do, even if you do tell people and you always have good experiences, there will be one person who comes to you with a bad experience, you know, and you have a bad experience with. But that's what I mean by the, the, the nerve, the anxiety is still there because you never know what the reaction is going to be. You never know if the person knows the condition well enough or if they or if they don't. But, mm. you know, once you overcome that, that first and you know that first hurdle the problem is now you know how you felt after telling someone sometimes like, when I tell my story you know I feel like I've, I've told it in such a way that is you know not appealing and I sit there and I'm like oh you know what's the what are they going to think now like you know what's they're going to what's their view going to be of someone with schizophrenia Will they you know take my experience and generalize that to everyone else so you know well, they know maybe someone's maybe i just had a bad day sort of thing so yeah it's it's, it's never an easy thing but for someone you know like myself it's something i've had to become accustomed to and it's something i've had to just you know nip in the bud and just be like you know what it's i've got to do it sort of mm-hmm. thing you know it's it's i've it's a, it's a, it's a got to do sort of thing and then just finding ways to manage the anxiety afterwards or whatever can come afterwards yeah
0: um, do you want to explain what schizophrenia is for people?
1: Yeah, so from from a from my personal experience, like I cause, you know, clinically there's probably a much more sophisticated way of explaining it. Um, but it's basically a type of psychosis, right? Or it is it starts off as, as a psycho psychotic episode. Um, and usually I learned this yesterday, usually schizophrenia is only diagnosed after it's happened a certain amount of time. So after you had a the psychotic episodes for a certain amount of times, or it's 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 going on for a period of time, usually longer than six months, and you know you have negative symptoms and positive symptoms. I hope my lecturers are listening to this because this is amazing recall for psychology. <laughs> um, yeah, and so you know, yes, yeah, so, and you know, you have positive symptoms, negative symptoms. Mainly, the core symptoms are you have delusions um, of the world you have you experience some sort of hallucination um and then you have the ne- the negative symptoms i think these are the negative symptoms where you can't you know it's similar to depression you can't you don't want to get out of bed you don't want to shower you don't want to do anything of that and then positive symptoms as i said you know thinking that people are out to get you or that the pe- people in the world that are or, that's called a positive symptom i have a positive or negative i can't remember but there, there's two there's positive symptoms and negative symptoms but it's they're not really. I don't think when they say positive, it means they mean less harmful. Yeah, something you. like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but that's in essence schizophrenia. As I said, you know, you have a psychotic episode, and if it goes on for so many times or for so many per- for such a long period of times, they look at it as schizophrenia, which is you know, hallucinations, delusions, and there's actually subcategories to schizophrenia. You know, so you have paranoid schizophrenia. You have I can't remember the other three, but um, these are all things I'm picking up as I go as a student. Um, but yeah, that's basically the essence of schizophrenia. I hope I've answered that yeah, question. No, I mean, I, so I was just doing some Googling around um, positive, positive and negative.
0: symptoms. Yeah. Um, it hasn't really said anything about, I haven't put anything in about negative symptoms, but yeah, yeah, I, of course, everything you're saying. I'm just trying to see if I can define a positive symptom. Yeah. But, um, You said hallucinations, delusions. Mm-hmm. Disorganized mm. thinking and movement. Um, that's it's interesting that they use the term positive symptom, yeah, um, because it's like when we're still trying to figure out language around mental mental ill health, it can be like a double bind mm. in a way because it's like the re- the regular everyday person probably won't deconstruct the sentence in a way that would make sense to the everyday yeah. person because it's all scientific speak it's all psychology speak it's all psychotherapy speak you know mm. um but um how are you going about treatment like what is what does treatment look like
1: so for me treatment is very is a lot less intense um I'm more sort of as an adult now so the responsibility is on me you know i, I take medication morning and night um i do so um online therapy online CBT which I you know encourage anyone if, if it's available to them to do because it's actually pretty good and it helps when you're in a waiting list for physical therapy um, in-person therapy so but that's what it is, and then just you know just use, use, using my service my support network around me to speak up if I'm feeling any type of way if I need any support or anything if I need any help I think that's the most fortunate thing i've been able to develop on my journey is being able mm. to have the courage to speak on it um you know i i go i now go in like i go i go deep like i i don't even bother with the whole how does it make me look if i say this or how does it you know i tell it how it is and say it how it is because you've got to dictate your recovery you've got to dictate your care you can't allow it to be dictated for you so i'm like full assertive when i'm speaking to my services but mm. that's what my recovery looks like now it's um a lot yes medication therapy and that's about it really you know as it's not as intense because as i said as an adult you you they tend to give you some more independence into you know finding your way um your coping strategies uh and so forth and i spend a lot of time learning about myself you know researching myself studying myself so i've got that self-awareness where you know i can recognize a trigger i can recognize when something's not right and i can as i said speak about it so yeah
0: i'm managing well yeah just some more information on the positive symptoms um this is from minddiagnostics.org it looks like a doctor that has written this yeah Uh, yeah um on the surface it might seem like positive symptoms have a positive effect on the individual's life in reality, positive symptoms of schizophrenia refer to those present in the individual as opposed to symptoms absent from the victim, which are referred to as negative symptoms. Uh... So, for example, two of the most common positive symptoms include hallucinations and delusions. Um, you've, ex- you've explained hallucinations. Um, on the other hand, delusions refer to false beliefs that go against normal way of thought. But mm. in comparison, some of the most common negative symptoms include the loss of motivation, inability to speak, decreased thought, lack of pleasure, lack of expression, positive symptoms, add behaviours, thoughts and feelings, and while negative symptoms take away, which is the reason for positive and negative. Um, right. And, you know, positive add, negative takeaway. Um, okay, what is it? If we go back to the pressure question, do you feel more or less pressure nowadays that you've oh, diagnosed and that's a, are taking steps to
1: recover and various Yes, yeah, that's a good question. I, I I feel, well, I do, you know what? It's changed. The pressure has changed. Now, you know, before the pressure was education and wanting to succeed in that. It's it's not, as there's not pressure there no more. I think, you know, when you tell a story so many times and it includes pressure from an education perspective, I think inevitably you're going to get rid of that pressure Mm -hmm. um, in that environment. So I don't have that pressure there, but, you know, I do have pressure Mm -hmm. now, Alex. I have pressure as an activist, you know, and this is something that gets to me. I think, you know, a lot of people see campaigners, activists, advocates, whatever the title may be, and think that they'll forever be good, you know. They're now on this path and they'll forever be good and they'll always be in tip top shape physically and mentally, you know. And it was getting to me at some point, it really was because, you know, there was a lot of conversation on being inspirational, being, you know, motivational and people seeing you as an an inference to to positivity and so forth. So it was like, you know, damn, when do I have time for my bad days kind of thing, you know, so Mm -hmm. it was, yeah, it was like, I was building this image that was being built for me. I was holding it together, you know, I was holding to it for dear life. I was like, I have to be positive, you know, I have to be motivated. I have to always be inspirational. And that, yeah, as I said, you know, that was getting to me because when I was having my bad days, I wasn't accepting, I wasn't validating those feelings. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't accepting what was going on. I was always trying to force myself out of it because I had to do it for others, you know? And that unfortunately led me to relapsing again and, and going back into the hospital recently. And mm. I think it was again, you know, probably something that I really needed at the time to reevaluate, to re, you know, re-rewire things and understand myself better. And, you know, again with the support network, a lot of people were saying to were saying to me things like, um, you know, when you do admit your bad days, it makes you it makes you look more human, right? And other conversations where we compared to celebrities where we see celebrities and we think now we take away their human, humanistic values from them because we think they've made it. So they can't ever have bad days. They can never, you know, Mm -hmm. feel down or anything like that. So it's like, why, you know, I remember when I used to tell people, you know, before that I was a bit, you know, wobbly, they'd be like, well, you're doing so well, you know, you're doing great things. You're doing amazing and so forth. And it was like, that's the exact pressure I'm trying to avoid. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the encouragement and, and, and so forth and as it should be motivation to to want to do better to to drive me forward but it's like you know you're not really hearing the part where I'm saying I'm feeling wobbly you're just telling me Mm. things I don't want to hear Mm. Um, and so yeah you know that created a different type pressure different type of border on my back Um, but fortunately we're here now and you know as I said we learned from it it was a big learning curve and you know having those bad days as as people say it's okay to not be okay it really is okay to not be okay you know not every day is perfect not one day is perfect and whenever the day is for us we should just be humble whenever it's against us we just have to be patient and you know that's yeah yeah what is your kind of spiritual background your spiritual makeup if you have any so I'm 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 a religious person. I'm I'm I've I converted to Islam when I was when I come out of hospital. Um I've been a When was that? I think it's been now uh, three years. It was summer, three years ago. How am I 24 21 maybe twenty yeah, twenty-one, I think. Yeah, about three years it's been um as a Muslim and that has supported i'm answering your question right this is what you wanted to say. yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. whatever
0: however however you felt to answer the question is
1: yes so yeah i mean um converting to islam was a very big push to me it was a very big boost you know my parents originally are roman catholics my family are typically catholics um so i'm the only person that makes sense yeah (laughs) exactly yeah exactly um so i'm the only person that reverted to islam and i've done it because you know we never used to do very like m- much religious activity. We never used to go to church or anything like that. So I never really grew up religious, like strong religious religion um, values, um, religious values or anything like that. And so when I had lost all hope, I didn't know where to search for hope. I didn't, you know, my parents would always teach me right from wrong, you know, and wrong from right. But religion will give you that hope sort of thing of, you know, what morals do you go by? What you know, values do you do? you, do you have? And so, you know, I, I, I wanted to find a religion at the time. I was looking into different religions, but I just found myself into Islam. You know, I just stories I felt matched with my mentality and the values as well, and where I wanted to go. And so, ever since then, yeah, I've been a Muslim, and it's helped with my journey. Uh, yeah, greatly. Yeah. yeah. why? Like how did that?
0: How did you get onto the path of Islam? Like among, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm just saying, I just, among all the religions that yeah. are available and paths and directions, what yeah. was the thing that you
1: thought that kind of said Islam is the one for you? Yeah, you know, I I was at first I was looking into different religions, many different, just you know, um dip into each. Um, religion, learning to find out things, the core um beliefs in, in each religion. And um at the time I had a lot of Muslim friends around me as well. And you know, they weren't they weren't actually very they weren't inputting as much. So they weren't trying to persuade me to come into um Islam. Not at all. They you know they just they just support the idea of finding religion. And same as my other friends, you know, all my friends, they support the idea of finding a religion um looking into religion sorry and yeah so I looked into each one but because I had Muslim friends it was easier to get answers from them than to find you know someone from a different community and asking them and so it just sort of naturally landed in into Islam where you know I've looked at different religions and my friends Mm -hmm. are from are Muslim as well and so I'm asking my friends and then from there I went into the mosque and, and spoke to their mom about Islam as well, um, to the point where you know the stories as I was reading more the beliefs. It just you know some sometimes sometimes what they say is you know you don't you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to believe it in your heart, sort of thing. And for me, it was that situation. I just I had a, a connection with Islam in my heart um, when I when I went into research, yeah, and then I decided you know that this was. Yeah, this is the, this is what's going to be for me and you know my parents you know everyone asks me how did your parents take it you know being the only person as a muslim and getting to convey the muslim i said to them listen the one this is again with like misconceptions my parents have no problem with religion or you know islam what they have a problem with is my behavior my attitude so if i become a be, a, a worse person in turning in becoming a Muslim, they're not they're not against the religion. They're against what it's what I've become from taking that decision. Mm-hmm. But because I became such a better person, you know, I I I was I was I don't know how to explain. It. I just became a better person. Yeah. My parents loved it. They were like, you know, now my dad makes jokes about it, and he's like, "Are oh, you not meant to be fasting today? You know, is it not Ramadan today?" Sort of thing, and all these things we make jokes about. And So they came to accept it because you know, like I said, it made me a better person. It really, you know defined me as a person yeah yeah that's beautiful thank you beautiful and I think it's
0: important and I think I've been having these conversations quite a bit now when I'm you know we're at a point where there's no longer room for the binary Mm. you know there's no longer for this or that it's usually this and that can both coexist and it is what I'm trying to navigate myself because when it comes to conversations about religion, people get a bit touchy. Yeah. Same way, same politics and other things. People get a bit touchy. And mm. I mean, I do maintain that that religion has a strong place in human society and the way that we um, navigate the world. I think the, but the issue that I have is culture and what culture yeah. does and what culture does or, or what happens to culture when people manipulate it by a religion or when what happens to religion when people manipulate culture yeah and i think that that's something that people aren't talking about enough or don't talk about um for various reasons of alienation shame or just not wanting to have to think about it mm. you know i think there's some people that you know they enter into these um different faith systems without thinking about what it is that they are yeah. going in for. And yeah. I think that's a super really, that's a super interesting, um, a super interesting story you shared with that, because I think that the reason for you going in was to you to, was was looking for that space of hope, that sense mm-hmm. of belonging, that, that connection, yeah. that need to be, to need to belong to a space where you can feel grounded and, when all hope is gone and we live in a society that can become quite hopeless. Mm. I feel quite hopeless, sorry. Um it's nice to remember that there's a community out there for us there's something bigger exactly. than us out there. Exactly. And, and you know, and I think that's and that's the important thing for me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um final question. Yeah uh, well- what do you do for fun? Like what is your kind of like what makes you laugh? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what makes you do things? You know what I'm saying? Like what gets you what you know? What, I mean? what makes you yeah. enjoy things? You know what
1: I'm saying? What's- yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a big um night nightclub person. Um oh, you're an uns uns guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm big on that. I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, as, as a student, I guess, so it's, it's inevitably the thing. Um, but yeah, I love going out to clubs with friends, um, Friday night, Saturday night, you know, when, when I can, when I'm available. Um, I love doing that. I love football. I'm a Manchester United fan. So okay. living in London is constant arguments with Arsenal, Chelsea fans. Yeah. Um now I'm in Essex, I, I don't actually know a lot of football fans here, actually. But mm. um, in London, yeah, I was back and forth yeah. arguing to Arsenal and fans. That, you know, something else keeps me going. And as I said, you know, as a, a football coach as well, so I used to love playing football. Now I've got to coach football, so I love doing that, you know. There's a thrill in leading your own team and when you're, you know, just grassroots as well young teaching young people what you know you were taught giving back to others you know that element of um uh giving back to others um really helps me and and i play a lot of video games i i've you know i when i come on these um podcast recordings mm. or anything i actually come on on it on my gaming pc and you know my gaming pc took me a week to build i i remember my friend you built it yeah, I built it myself. I put it all together myself. I remember the yeah, first yeah. person who inspired me to do it was one of my good friends. And, you know, I saw him with this computer and he had like he looked so like it looked well good. And, you know, his the colors and all the things he could do. And then I said to myself, I want one of those like, you know, I want to have one of those. Like, forget the Xbox, forget the PlayStation. I want a gaming PC. And this is a true true testament to, you know, if you put your mind to something, you can <laughs> achieve it and manifest mm-hmm. it because Three two years down the line, I I built my own PC, you know, and they looked at me and they was like, hey, "You done it yourself?" That they, they didn't like before. I, I before I used I used to call them for some help and so and so and so and so, and they were like, "What you done it yourself?" And you know, it's my one of my biggest proudest achievements, and yeah. it's yeah, you know, I just I have a lot of video games. I you. would not know where to
0: begin. Yeah, it's it's a tough to
1: What does it even? What do you?
0: How do you even? Like. The fan,
1: yeah. What do you do
0: with the fan? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. What do you do with the fan, like, man. All right. I guess you know. What I mean, but, I mean, when you're interested in something, you'll find a way in it. That's it. Yeah. When the world is away, that's it. Exactly. Right, right, right. I'm. I do not know. You know. I just. I'll just buy the Xbox. And... <laughs> <laughs> buy the TV. Buy the Xbox. I'm done. You know what I mean? Because you know what, I really want the. I want the Harry Potter game. I want the new Hogwarts Legacy game. And yeah. I'm like, I have nothing to play on okay i can play it on my mac but then mm. my mac is like work yeah 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 i, yeah. I want something separate want, yeah that's I want, like, I want like i want like a den you know what i
1: mean yeah yeah that's the exact you've got to separate the leisure with the work i i tried to do my weapon well up so and yeah i mean but yeah you're right it's it's, it's a headache it's a, i wouldn't i wouldn't advise it something as you know an everyday thing because <laughs> yeah well, it took a lot yeah well, a building lot of the work. computer yeah building the computer yeah yeah but once you have it done it's amazing how, how long did it take? a week it took me a week but most oh. of it but most of it is troubleshooting which you know so you gotta find out what pin you put in wrong where is you plugged it in wrong and so on forth and so what has not matching with what that's what troubleshooting oh, so, Yeah. When you, so say, that,
0: when you say pin you mean like a physical pin at the back of it? yeah
1: yeah yeah like a physical pin yeah 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 so yeah, it was a lot of work, but um, very proud of it. Yeah,
0: yeah, man, I would be proud too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'd be proud too. Could you be
0: like I spent a week to make you? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, better, yeah. You better, you better work in the way I, I want you to work.
1: <laughs>
0: um, you know what, Antonio? It's been a great to speak to you, man. Um, Thank do you, you have any? Do you have any questions for me?
1: No, man. I'm just really happy we finally got to do this. I appreciate you having me on here, and you know, it's it was a great conversation. I love the the energy. Yeah, man.